0: a simple model. It's like there's 168 hours in a week, John. Right? And you divide that number by three, perfectly, it it's three buckets of 56 hours. 56 hours, 56 hours, and 56 hours. You, me, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Ellen DeGeneres, like we all have the same amount of time. The richest man in the world can't buy anymore. It's not for sale.
1: You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast-inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. And hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Louder Than Words. First off I just want to say how appreciative I am for all of you listeners I've been getting emails, tweets about when new episodes are going to air You make all of this necessary which is nothing feels better than that Truth be told, uh, my fiance and I actually welcomed our uh, baby boy into the world in early January. So it's been a, obviously a really busy couple weeks adjusting. Um, and obviously a lot of things are neglected and this podcast was one of them. So I really appreciate everybody asking. Don't worry, we will be getting more guests. Um, it's just It's been a little slower during this time, but it's been a, it's been a crazy period in the best way possible. Um, however, today... I'm super excited to welcome Neil Pasricha. Uh, He's an author best known for his number one international bestseller, The Book of Awesome, and uh, a bunch of books that spawned from that. And the blog that started it all, A Thousand Awesome Things, Neil is a Harvard MBA, former director of leadership at one of the world's largest companies, and he's one of the most popular TED speakers of all time. His new book, The Happiness Equation, details how anyone can actually build an awesome life and be happy, something I'm sure we all uh, you know, can take more insight from. Um, just to give you a little personal anecdote, I came to know of Neil... Uh, Several years ago, uh, I believe it was 2013, I went through a a very personal uh, tough time when I had lost my girlfriend of five years in a in a car accident, and um, I remember I was in a bookstore several months later, and I just I needed to find something that uh, you know provided me some sort of you know uh, silver lining to to life, right? Something that showed me that there are. You know, small things to be happy about. And I was like, I didn't even know if a book like this existed, but you know, I was looking in, you know, several different sections, psychology, self-help, which, you know, I always felt like, oh, self-help, I don't need that. But um, and I came across this book, The Book of Awesome, which really detailed all these seemingly mundane things about everyday life that we take almost seemingly for granted that um are actually really awesome things that can make you happy. So I bought this book, and and really, I, I'm telling you, it was like really things that um, I don't even. To be honest with you, I don't even know how Neil spoke about some of these things because I think one of them was like walking around the house without your bra on, and I was like, that's <laughs> that's curious. Um, so I'll have to ask Neil about how how we how we gained insight on that. But it, really, it was these mundane things that that was like, you know what? That, there are a ton of things still to be happy about, and uh, it helped me a lot. So little did I know. You know, three years later, I'd be sitting here talking to him on the podcast. So uh, it's a big honor to have you on here, Neil. So happy to have you on. Thanks so much for your time and, and coming, hanging out, and louder than words today.
0: God oh, John, it is my pleasure. I I think you are doing an incredible job with this podcast. I, I am really enjoying it, and thank you so much for having me here. I think the stars have aligned. What a great kind of background. Uh, story on how we connected through that difficult time and it's so funny to me because of course I was writing the blog through my own difficult time and and maybe that's kind of what made it a few years later all all click together for us to actually have this conversation
1: for sure. For sure. And, and, and I'm sure many others as well. Uh, so before we get into all that, um, I was really worried about butchering your name when I came on here today. Um, <laughs> and I even asked you before the call, I was like, Neil, I don't want to butcher your name. Um, but turns out you've actually butchered your name before and you had a funny story to tell about that. Well,
0: yeah. Well, my name's Neil Pasaricha. You know, growing up in Toronto and Canada, um, I always got used to telling people it's like, it's like passing a salt shaker, pass. Reaching for it, reach, and then relaxing afterwards. (laughs) Pass, reach, ah. And I was doing all these interviews for the Book of Awesome a few years ago. You know, those days where they set you up with twenty or thirty radio interviews in a row. You know, and TV interviews. And one of them, they didn't ask me how to pronounce my last name. It was like the only one. It was an interview with BBC India. And so after the interview was over, I said, "Um, "Yeah, you didn't. You know, you called me Neil Pistricha, but you didn't tell me." You didn't ask me how to pronounce my name. She's like, oh, I have tons of relatives here in India that are Pasrichas. And um, I said, oh, no, it's Pasricha. She said, oh, no, it's Pasricha. You are <laughs> saying it wrong. Believe me, I, I, my whole community is full of Pasrichas here in India. And she's like, I, I, you must have got it like, you know, it must be Canadianized or something. But she's like, yeah, I, I can confirm that you're saying your own last name wrong. And you have been your entire life. <laughs> what <laughs> it was like, what it was a sobering like,
1: moment, huh? I'm like, oh, my gosh,
0: like wow like that's just amazing the way the world works like uh you, you know how many of us hear stories about parents or grandparents changing a name or you know uh anglicizing or you know doing something with a name even my dad when he came to canada changed his name from surrender because it sounded like surrender to ken because people started <laughs> saying well i can't pronounce kumar so i'll go with ken and he's like well i can do it so i'll go with ken and so like you hear those stories but for me i couldn't believe that i'd been doing that for 30 years and and of course, I haven't changed back because this is how I know myself.
1: Yeah, how could you at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, there okay. you go. Well, we're, 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 whoever it is, you know, whatever, however the pronunciation <laughs> is, we're, we're honored to have you on here today. Um, so, you kind of alluded to this before, but I want to get into this blog that you started, you know, all these years ago, a thousand awesome things. Um, you know, it, this thing really resonated with people, obviously, right? I mean, um, You know, viral in the sense, every sense of the word, um, led to this very successful, you know, publishing career. But what really was the impetus for starting this blog, A Thousand Awesome Things? Like I said, you alluded to this, but how did all of it start?
0: Sure. I mean, I had grown up in the shady suburbs of Toronto. Mom and dad did all the hard work immigrating to Canada. I had a pretty charmed, quiet existence where I didn't appreciate, you know, how much I had sort of going for me because I hadn't struggled, you know, while my parents had to put food on the table and make sure the power was on in the house and the school was always open across the street. So in my late 20s, which is sort of the late 2009, 2008 period, um, I went through my my first share of sort of huge road bumps in in life and it shook me Um, as it would anybody. The two things that happened within a span of a few weeks were... That my wife told me she wasn't in love with me anymore. We'd been together two two years. Um, we had the respect and trust, and, and you know the the sort of admiration for each other. But she was able to put her finger courageously that the love itself was missing, or something was missing, and she called it out early in our marriage, two years in. But it still was heartbreaking to me, and I hadn't thought it through enough to realize, as I do now, years later, that she was right. I didn't have the courage to you know, go through that emotional process. And I didn't have time then because three weeks later, my best friend who had been suffering from mental illness for years, very sadly and very suddenly took his own life. And, um, you know, this is a, this is sort of like a call you three times a week type friend. You know, we we were really tight and close. And I, I I knew of course about his challenges and the struggles I knew about his medications, but you know, nothing could, nothing felt like it could have prevented that. And that, alone was a huge emotional thing to process. And as these two things were happening, um, you know, my friend Chris was struggling and, and my wife and I were sort of navigating the end of, of our marriage. I, I said to myself one day, Joe, I was like, I need something positive. I grew up feeling pretty good most of the time, but the news and everywhere I look, it's always negative. You know, our brains are trained to Look for negativities. That's all we see. Um, so I just typed in "how to start a blog" into Google. I typed that. I, I pressed that "I'm feeling lucky" button. You know that no one ever presses. And thanks to WordPress's you know handy big button saying "start a blog here." Do you want it to be red or blue? You know. <laughs> ten minutes later, I started up a thousand awesome things.com Just a way to count down one awesome thing about my day every single day before I went to sleep. Things like bakery air and wearing warm underwear out of the dryer, and you know waking up and realizing it's Saturday and you know, you know these simple little pleasures that we don't talk about. And I wrote about, you know, two, three, 400, sometimes a thousand
1: words about each one. What was your aspiration at the time? Were you like, was it, I mean, I'm sure in that state of mind, it was hard to imagine that this is going to reach a lot of people. It seems like it was more cathartic for you. What was your, I guess, what was, What was the aspiration? Was it just an exercise for yourself? Yeah, the two
0: things I thought I would get out of it are, number one, because I made it 1000AwesomeThings.com, and I started with number 1,000, which, by the way, was broccoli flower, proof that I didn't think anybody was going to read it, the strange mutant (laughs) hybrid child of nature's ugliest vegetables, cauliflower and broccoli, the green green cauliflower. Yeah, I know. It's like, (laughs) this is awesome. Can you believe it's mutant cauliflower? proof that no one, I didn't think I was going to read it. I thought two things. Number one, I'll write a thousand of these, you know, as a practice. And two, it'll, it'll make me feel better. Like I, it was a goal of improving my own mood. And, um, I, I even, you know, went to another computer, like in the library or, and at work to type in my blog URL thinking like, is it even like, is it true that it's like anybody can see this? You know, I didn't, you don't really believe it when you first put something out there. And, um, I also hadn't done the math John so 1000 which sounds tiny to you and I like that takes 4 years of writing every single weekday if you really want to do that and you know to say I I wanted to quit many many times but because I did it as a countdown I had that external pressure and then I gained a readership that became external pressure as as you have for your podcast now you're like you know I'm going to I'm going to be back guys with more podcasts it's like I felt the same way I'm like I can't disappoint <laughs> you guys you know I can't I can't let you down you we just talked about um Hitting a string of green lights on the way to work on Friday. I got, I got to deliver on Monday. I got to top that one, you know? <laughs> so it was just that. It was just simple uh, to try to help myself.
1: When did you start seeing traction? Like, wow, there's, there's, yeah. there's not, not just some people reading this. Like, there's something going on here.
0: Sure. Well, I, I did a, a five posts by myself. You know, number 1,000, 999, 998, finding money in your coat pocket, things like that. At the end of the week, I wrote an email to everybody I knew. Okay, so subject line: Honest to Blog, well, a line I stole from Juno, and I said, "Hi everyone, I wanted to tell you I started a blog. I'd uh, love to know what you think." You Neil, know, that's it. I still have that original email, and um, so that day I got maybe you know a, a few hundred hits because people uh, visited it, and then the next day something crazy happened, John, and that somebody commented on my blog, and I didn't know who they were. That was a that was a really big moment where I was like, "Well, that's not my friend Fred." <laughs> that's not my friend, you know, Laura, that's someone who I don't know. I'm who, and I email the person I'm like, hi, who are you? And like, they're like, oh, so-and-so forwarded me your website, you know? And I'm like, that was a pretty cool moment. And the other cool moment for your listeners is, um, you know, I started the blog June, 2008. Well, um, one month later, I wrote a post called number 980 old dangerous playground equipment. And here I am, you know, in the background, like, you know, I'll send my my blog to like a dig.com or a Reddit and just, you know, it got like one hit from there or whatever. And then I send it to Fark, Fark.com, and it makes the front page. And now 50,000 people visited my blog in one day from the sort of epic string on Fark.com, where it's like, you know, does anybody remember, you know, when you got, you know, burnt from like a hot slide that's been cooking in the sun all day, and, you know, when they actually built playgrounds that were really, really tall, and kids actually had casts because they broke their arms, you know? And I'm like, you know, talking about this in like this, you know, can you, you know nostalgic way. Well, it took off, and 50,000 people visited the site, but 5,000 of them stayed, and so i had i began to have a re- daily readership of 5000 people all of a sudden that was a huge number and then you know that grew to
1: 10000 and 20000 and 30000 and 50 million hits over over the years and then all of a sudden you had like you were onto something right this led to obviously the book books um you know the book of awesome things and then that spawned um you know a bunch of books in in that same family um, holiday themed, you know, there's a, uh, all, all sorts of things, but it also led to a TED Talk and, and you sort of became this figure for, um, you know, happiness and 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 wisdom. And so, A, was that surprising? Um, all of a sudden, you you know, you, you're coming from a place where, you know, you needed this as a cathartic exercise. Now people are looking to you as I did um, for these positive sort of daily insights. And now you're You know, you've become big, right? You're doing TED talks. You're, you're, you're speaking. What was going through your mind as all of this was happening? I mean,
0: <laughs> front page of the Toronto Star, which is the you know it's the biggest newspaper in, in Canada, says the Pied Piper of Happiness is here. You know, in my <laughs> picture, and, and the book comes out, and you know, the Webby Awards came, and that's where all the literary agents came from. Is that they saw that I, you know the blog won the Webby Award for Best Blog, and then they came out of the woodwork and sort of said, "Hey, do you have a representation?" You know, and um, mean all this external stuff is happening, right? And, and it's impossible not to be happy when your blog is. Geared towards happiness, but the truth of the matter is, and this is something I, you know, I've only really started to share because it—it it, it just I couldn't comfortably share it as this was all happening. Um, the truth is that I was still like, you know, wrestling with my own unhappiness in a pretty deep way. I, I, just to illustrate, I lost forty pounds due, due to stress. If you look at pictures of me on that TED Talk stage or um, at the Webby Awards, now I'm like I don't recognize myself. People at work. You know, I worked at Walmart for a decade, and people at work would come up to me and say, "Who's that picture on your name badge?" I was like, "Oh, that's me." The day I started, and they they said, well, "What's your secret, man? You lost a lot of weight." And I'd say, "Stress, like nothing else." And I wasn't getting much sleep. I, I mean, I'm selling my house. I'm moving to a bachelor apartment. I'm you know, I'm I'm eating out every meal. I'm coming home from work, and then I'm doing the blog all night and answering emails. I'm getting you know three four hours of sleep. And so I actually went to the to the pharmacy near my house shopper's drug mart, some of you know, and I said, what's the best under eye like makeup you can sell me that nobody will know I'm wearing? And they sold me this $50 tube of stuff I started painting under my eyes um, just because I was so embarrassed by by how black the bags under my eyes actually were. They were like black. And I, I was so embarrassed by how I looked that I started painting my eyes every morning before I went to work, which is It's it's crazy for me to even share that now, but it's like I'm the Pied Piper of happiness. You know, I can't tell people that I'm internally struggling on the inside. I had some help. I had I I sought out therapy, and I found therapy very, very, very helpful to me. The blog itself was therapeutic, so there was an aspect of it through the exchange of positive gratitudes that that was moving me forward. Um, And then the time, you know, and, and you and I both know, after going through loss, like time is. A big part of it all. Um, And so those things were happening, but I'm collecting information that whole time, John, on on, what is it that is making me happy and that isn't? What am I learning in my day job? You know, I'm working for the CEO of Walmart as his kind of assistant, and then the director of leadership development here. Um, so these kind of big, interesting corporate jobs. And then after the TED Talk, I'm getting shipped around the world speaking about my TED Talk. You know, I'm in Abu Dhabi speaking to the royal family all of a sudden. I'm, I'm you know, at big conferences. I'm in, in, I'm in you know, in Barcelona speaking to companies. I'm, I'm all over the place. And I'm struggling, you know, it's, maybe it happens to a lot of us, plus or minus the age of 30, you know, but it's, it's like a a growth period, a struggling period, a outward happiness and an inward searching. And that's kind of, that was the next few years of my life. And that's why, you know, you didn't directly ask this, but that's why when I stopped writing my blog in April, 2012, I literally dropped the pen. So my, you know, my last book was 2011, the book of holiday awesome. My last blog post was April 2012, which was number one on my blog when I hit number one, 2011, 12, 13, 14, nothing, no output, no creative, you know, no creative production, just little note cards in my wallet with ideas gestating and processing over the time.
1: And this whole time, you know, and, and it's, it's hard to believe, but this whole time when, you know, you're doing the TED Talks, you're writing books, you're, you're running the blog, you still had a day job so you're you're <laughs> yeah. doing all the and 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 you heard from a lot of your friends like why, why aren't you like you know right this is like supposed to be the dream right you 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 do yeah. something on your own you take off you quit your job but you didn't
0: you know what and that's a big um you know, I, I actually remember I went to the World Domination Summit, which you know, Chris Gillabo, incredible, a, friend, a great friend of mine, does this incredible event. For those that haven't heard of it, you know, please check it out. Chris is an incredible guy, and I went there, and you know, I'm working at Walmart in a corporate job, and it, the the underlying theme of entrepreneurship was so palpable and so seductive, and I really questioned myself on the flight home, thinking, should I keep working my job? But but here's my parents. You know, my dad came over to Canada as a teacher from, you know, from India, my mom came from Africa, from Kenya as an accountant. Um, I already didn't follow the Indian advice to become a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, The last piece of advice (laughs) is hold on to your job, Sonny, you know, like you don't know when this like a little advance money is going to trickle out, you know, you, you don't know if you're going to have one big, another big pop. And by the way, you got no advertisements on your blog. So, and I'm not monetizing in any way. So, um, you know, it's like, do you really want your creative side, your your intrinsic motivating creativity to, to be sort of affected by extrinsic motivators? Like I was, so I was somewhat smart about that. I wasn't smart enough to ignore all of them, but I was like, yeah, I really want to just write. And my job paid me well, like my day job paid me well. So, and it gave me what I call the four S's, which are social fulfillment, the structure of having something that can, pay for and justify your creativity, the stimulation... Uh, of learning new things in a dynamic political, um, you know, corporate environment, which I, I do think is really important. And the story of being part of something bigger than yourself, which, you know, uh, was trying to lower the cost of living, uh, which when I was working at, working at Walmart Canada. But if you're at Google, you're organizing the world's information. If you're at Facebook, you're connecting people. Like, you know, you, you get to be part of something that you couldn't do on your own. So those four S's um, social structure, stimulation, story were so important to me. And I was picturing myself, you know, at home alone in a dark room with a bright screen. You know, missing all my friends and not learning anything new. And, you know, I, I, I was scared of that feeling and I was worried to
1: make that jump. But you eventually did, right? I mean, eventually <laughs> got to the point where you, you kind of, your career kind of forced your hand. Yeah. So I, I have this model in my new book.
0: And, we're, and I don't know, we're not talking about it yet, but I, I, it's a simple model. It's like there's 168 hours in a week, John, right? And you divide that number by three perfectly. It, it's three buckets of 56 hours. 56 hours, 56 hours, and 56 hours. You, me, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Ellen DeGeneres, like we all have the same amount of time. The richest man in the world can't buy anymore. It's not for sale. The beautiful thing about those three buckets of 56 is it lets us do really simple math. Because if the average person sleeps for eight hours a night, then eight times seven days a week is fifty-six hours. Like it's a perfect bucket, your sleep bucket. And of course, as a new dad, you're like, I'm not getting anywhere close to that. But but you know, <laughs> but it, it, for the average person, it's about a bucket. And then work. Okay, work is the second bucket. Um, you know, a lot of us have forty-hour week jobs, but a lot of us do emails at home or work on the evenings or there's overtime or there's commuting time. You know, it's about a bucket. And I love that structure because for me the last 5 years of my life that structure has afforded me the and, and financially afforded me but also creatively afforded me my third bucket which was writing three four books about the books of awesome my blog the ted talks all that stuff was my third bucket here i am now 2016 i'm 36 years old and if i look at my life today i've met someone new we've got married we have a son which i'll tell you about separately you know we have a, a small family and my wife's pregnant again guess what? Being a dad very quickly is a bucket. It's dinners at home. It's bath time. It's story time. It's going for a walk with him this morning, um, seeing the sidewalk cleaner, Fazim, who we love talking to, Trini, the dancing man, the Guatemala man who mops the the Wings restaurant that we always dance with in the window. And, you know, we, we have these moments, and it's a bucket. It's a beautiful bucket, being a dad, at least, you know. And, and that made me say to myself, John, well, what's that second bucket going to be? You know, is it going to be Walmart, which I loved, and I have great friends there, and it's a great job, or is it going to be the happiness equation and all the related, you know, uh, speaking and author events and finding time to write new books potentially and all that stuff needs to go somewhere. So I made a very emotional decision for me to leave my job only a few weeks ago after 10 years there because I want to be a full-time dad and I still want to have my creative pursuits.
1: I could tell you thought this out. It's not like you just quit your job.
0: <laughs> uh, it was like a, a back, It's a back burner for five years, and and I have this 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 other model that I'll, I'll do a 10 second on, and that's that's every single decision in life, John. It is, it's on a certain scale of time, and it's of a certain importance right? So the low time, low importance decisions, we can automate them. You know, you can automate your bill payments, automate your consumable items delivered to your house. You can automate your GPS on your way to work. The the ones that are, are um, low importance but take a lot of time, like email, you got to regulate those. You know, you got to put a window around them or figure out how you're going to just do them in one part of your life. The ones that are super important but don't take very long, high time, low importance, those ones on this two-by-two two need to be effectuated, right? You simply do them. You get her done. You 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 pick up the kids from daycare. You say hi to your team in the morning. And that model affords you to debate the high time and high importance decisions in the top right of the box. So again, the high time, high importance decisions, like should I leave my job? I was debating that thing for years because of all this all this, all this information, but I was trying to make time to debate it by automating, regulating, and effectuating all, of my, all my other decisions.
1: This is really fascinating. And, and just, the, you know, if people listening had any, uh, you know, doubts about picking up the happiness equation, this is the kind of stuff that, I mean, it's, it, it's really brilliant stuff. I have a, a copy sitting right here, uh, but we'll get into that in a second. What I want to get into now is you just alluded to before this period of low to no output, um, you know, following the successes of the Book of Awesome, the speaking where you kind of put the pen down after the blog commenced, and uh, and you just kind of uh, maybe it was a period of, of finding your muse or, or, or whatever it was. Um, but you have a really cool story about how you sort of found it again. Um, yeah. That involved you being on a flight and kind of <laughs> of led to the happiness yeah. equation and all this stuff. So, um, how did you go about finding this muse again to to come back out with this book and? you know, get back into it.
0: Sure. Well, in that dead period, you know, of a few years and then a few years is is a few decades these days in internet time, right? It's in that dead period, I I was still me. So, um, yeah, the awesome ship had had moved, you know. It's like I had pressure to do the Book of Awesome 4. There had been five calendars, an app, journals, you know. But I thought, you know, I need a break and I need to get more sleep and I need to start online dating. I need to, like, find myself again. And so... In that period, the only thing creative I did was keep note cards on me, note cards in my wallet. And if I saw an interesting article in the New York Times, if I came across a quote on a website that, I, that really struck me, if there was a little corner of a book that I actually wanted to take scissors to and like cut because it was so profound, I stuck it on a little note card and kept it in a little file folder. That became important when Leslie and I fell in love, got engaged, got married, went on a honeymoon to Southeast Asia, And then on the flight on the way home of our honeymoon, she said, I'm not feeling well. You get worried because it's a long flight, uh, but we had a layover in Malaysia, and we were able to visit a pharmacy and get back on the plane, now bracing ourselves for a 12-hour flight home. On the tarmac, she goes to the little bathroom bathroom. On the actual airplane, comes to our seats, and I have a photo of this because we took a selfie of it right after. Which I was, (laughs) uh, which my wife was, and said, "I don't know if we should publicize that." But wait, I I put it on my blog for a second, and it is her telling me I'm pregnant, and and showing me this pregnancy test that she did in the air on the actual airplane, and you know, then the flight takes off for twelve hours, and. A ton of emotions were swirling on that that flight, John I mean the biggest one of which I think most new dads experience it may be you know I'm sure you can relate it's like I just want my kid to be happy like I can't wait to be a dad, but what can I do to give my child a life of beauty and and you know of, of grace and of happiness and the writing bug hit me hard when we landed, and for the next nine months i e my wife's entire pregnancy i set my alarm every morning at 5am and wrote a thousand words like like from a blaze of fire in my chest you know the good news about going through a low period creatively is that when you got when you get ready to go again you go full throttle because i had so much pent up creative energy and for 9 months i wrote what turned into a 300 page word document which is called dear baby I wanted you to have this in case I didn't have a chance to tell you, love Dad here are the nine secrets to living a happy life, and <clears throat> that letter over over you know a couple of, over a year i guess of of editing and and going through that that process has turned into the happiness equation, so that book that you have right beside you is originally the letter I wrote to my son, which of course we've taken out words like. And I love you so much forever and ever because, John, when you read that, you'd be like, how does he even – is this guy in my house? We took, we, took, we took out some lines like that, but it's the same letter. It's nine secrets anyone can use or nine steps
1: to, to live what I would call a happy life. And that, that's, that's such a beautiful story, the, the whole idea of writing a letter to your, to your unborn child. And at the time, did you know what form this was going to take? No, not at all. So, a
0: couple things I thought. One is, I thought first of all, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, <laughs> so that's one thing. So, and it didn't have any. There's nothing gender in it. We didn't. We didn't find out, and which is hard these days, you know, not to find out because every every technician wants to tell you. And and then um, the second thing I thought is, you know, when this comes out, I'll send it to you know relationships that I have, eyeballs I have in my life, editors, people that that are discerning and ask them what they think. One of those people was a woman named Amy Einhorn, who's an editor in New York city who edited the books of awesome. I sent it to her. She took a while to write back and she wrote back and she said, Neil, um, you know what this is? And I said, no, I don't. That's why I was hoping you'd tell me. (laughs) And she said, well, there's a category in the bookstore called self-help. That's a huge category. It might even be the biggest in the whole bookstore. And then there's a category in the bookstore called business." And that's a huge category. I think it might even be the second biggest category in the bookstore. I said, yeah, yeah. And she said, you know, you've never revealed your, that sort of business background of yours. You know, the, if you look at the books of awesome, no picture of me, no mention of Harvard MBA, no mention of working at Walmart. Like I hid all that stuff. I hid it all because I was afraid of all that. And, And she's like, but this book goes in the middle. There's a new category that Barnes & Noble should have, but they don't. And no bookstore has it. And it goes in the middle and it's called Wisdom. And by the way, John, I feel like a lot of podcasts these days are trying to fill that void, you know, we have in society on wisdom, but it's so funny now that she told me that it's so true. You walk into the bookstore, you're like, yeah, where's the wisdom, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) where can I find like everyone else's life advice? It it doesn't exist. And so she's like, I think we could turn this into a wisdom book. And that was her hope. And that was the original premise behind the letter, which evolves into the book.
1: That's because so you you essentially, I mean that's got to be a little intimidating, right? You're sort of breaking ground on this new category not new i mean wisdom itself obviously right not new but um so you have this book that doesn't quite fit here doesn't quite fit here but we could kind of make its own category
0: yeah uh, and it's, it's also totally presumptuous and pompous to, you know, in your early <laughs> to mid-30s to be like yeah here's my wisdom for the world you know the, the justin bieber justin bieber memoir you know when he was like 18 or whatever but it's uh so i was like you know shy about that and shy about you know the content because it was quite personal but it was also the result of endless studies and interviews. And I got to follow around two CEOs from Walmart, you know, for four years. So I got to meet all kinds of CEOs, interview billionaires, driving, you know, I'm driving Waltons back to the airport. I'm, you know, I'm I'm in lots of rooms. I'm in the rooms with royal families. I'm 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 in all these interesting places for years. And guess what, John? the same amount of unhappiness that occurs on the street that occurs in big corporations is also occurring in the lives of these uber successful people and that was a staggering realization for me i'm like you mean even if i sell millions of books i'm not guaranteed to be happy because of that or even if i am you know running a country or running a co- like like what's it going to take and so um, the book was a worry, like came from a place of worry. I'm like, I better tell my child how to live a happy life because I really want to know myself too. And so, you know, uh, secret number one, for example, the, the dream, um, or the first thing you got to do before. Before you can be happy, it's just about reimagining our own relationship with happiness, you know. And 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 if I can digress for a quick thirty seconds, it's like you know we all think that you work really hard, then you have a big success, then you're happy. It's what my immigrant parents always told me. You know, study hard, get the good grades, be happy. Um, work really hard, get promoted, be happy. Um, but this incredible study by (laughs) some researchers at the University of Kentucky, where they looked at nuns entering convents in the 1930s and 40s, actually reveals that if we're happy first, if our attitude actually is one of happiness to begin with, then we do great work, and then we have the big success. The model is actually the opposite. And Professor Sonia Lubomirsky and her peers in 2005 Also, did an incredible meta analysis study that shows if you're happy first, you're 31% more productive at work. You're 37% likely to have higher sales, three times more creative than your peers. All these amazing positive indicators come. We all kind of know it. You know, the happy guy at work is probably getting a lot done and people want to be on his team and work for that guy. You know, we know that. But the results of these studies just prove it and using that secret as a baseline the rest of the book is meant to string the reader string my son along into a place where he can feel like he owns his own
1: happiness he can control it and here's how so there's a in 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 the secret number 1 section and you know i don't want to give too much away but just to give people a taste of the sort of insight that's in this book as well as what you've already alluded to you had a section that that uh, you know I, I was struck by immediately because I'm a huge, huge, My favorite actor of all time is Tom Hanks. I mm. my favorite movie ever, and if it's ever on, which it is all the freaking time, Forrest Gump. <laughs> whenever Forrest Gump is on, I have to watch it. I just I I I love that movie, probably because it reminds me a lot of of just being a kid because I brought, I saw it when I was 12 years old and was struck by it even then, which is odd, right? Not probably appropriate for a 12-year-old to be watching, but that's besides the point. Um, but you have this section that's called The One Thing That Your Doctor, Teacher, and Tom Hanks all have in common, and it's something that you know I, I related to and empathize with greatly. Can you just talk about that? Sure. Sure.
0: Um- well, Tom Hanks is one of the world's most successful actors. He earns millions with every movie. And he's got this very famous quote, which, of course, you know, you quote people in books these days, you got to like quadruple confirm it. So the editors and everyone quadruple confirmed it. The quote is this. And he says this Some people go to bed at night thinking, that was a good day. I am one of those who worries and asks, how did I screw up today? Can you believe he says that? And the reason he says that is because. He's like all of us. Andy Grove, the longtime Intel executive, said, only the paranoid survive. Our brains are trained to follow this paranoid model. We follow it every day. It's medical student syndrome. We are trained to find unhappiness. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because our brains have spent 200,000 years since the dawn of, you know, homo sapiens. And you could argue about the start date, but it's not far from there. It's maybe 300,000. Um, looking for food and shelter. And if we don't find those, we don't survive. So we're always looking for the the lion hiding in in the jungle. We're always looking for the storm that's about to hit. We're always looking for the animal that can run away with our baby. You know, we have been looking for that for 199,500 of those years. You know, it's only recently that we're looking for happiness or hitting the top of Maslow's hierarchy. So because of that, we've designed our world, John, in a way that all we even do in all of our structures and societies look for those those negative variables. Like you go to the doctor's office, you get your blood test back. Well, guess what? Um, if your blood sugar and your Cholesterol is fine. You ignore them. But if your iron is out of out of whack, you're like, that's the problem. Like we got to eat steak. Like it's like a negative variable. Like we look for the thing that's wrong and we fix it. I mean, I grew up career wise in Walmart. Right. Like I I I grew up there, so I know that store managers there manage by exception. You print a report off in the morning. It says, yeah, your. Your traffic count is fine. Your basket size is fine. But your checkout time is below average. What do you do? You spend the whole day trying to fix your checkout time. All you do is focus on that one negative variable. Think about our schools. Okay, you hand back tests. Most of your listeners were probably lucky enough that they were getting A's and B's, right? And, you know, if you are one of those students that is failing a class – Well, guess what happens to you? It's a gift. You get remedial sessions. You can come in for lunch. You can get partnered with a mentor or another student. We don't want you to fail. You'll drain the system, right? But if you're getting A's and B's, you don't get extra help. We look for the negative variable and then we do everything we can to control it and to improve it. That's the way our minds operate and that's why it's impossible and difficult for so many people to find happiness because all we're doing and all we're training our brains and our systems is to look for a problem, find problem and then improve problem. That's it. Think about when you start dating. You're like, okay, what's wrong with this one? You know, Can I look at those crooked teeth for the rest of my life? You're looking for the problems rather than looking for the positive things. And that is a retraining that we all need to underdo as a practice over our lives. And it takes time and years to do it. But I I believe it can be done. And I do think it takes a lot of effort and time though.
1: Have you thought of how you will present this to your son? I mean because yeah it turned into this book right that now you know thousands or millions of people will be touched by but it still was born from this place right that was very personal. Have you thought about like how you'll one day present this and be like this is for you?
0: Well, I I listened to an interview with with Seth Godin recently and he said something that really struck me. He said, you know, and this is a guy by the way, who, who I, and he's, you know, his blurb is on the back of the, my book and everything, but I've only known him ever as the super marketer, right? Like this incredible blogger. He's, um, he's a guest, he's been a guest in your podcast too. You know, he's, he's like uh, his career, his, his creative output is staggering. You know, he's blogging every day, umpteen books, you know, it's just incredible. But I heard an interview with him recently. He's like, nothing's more important than spending time with your kids and 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 I'm like in my head I was like I didn't even know he had kids you know I mean <laughs> here's a guy who I've only ever equated in my mind with with sort of external success measures and he's saying nothing's more important than spending time with your kids but it struck a, a nerve inside me I just explained my bucket model because I'm like yeah like uh, nothing's more important than time nothing is more important than time and so I'm hoping John that the themes and the values in this book um, before he can even read the book itself, you know, through osmosis, through touch, through glances, through how I talk to strangers, through uh, how I prioritize my time at home with my wife, my son will hopefully live the the values and the secrets in this book. I hope before he reads the book, I, I hope because I just want to make sure I spend enough time with with you know my kids at a very young age just to make sure that. I do everything I possibly can to, to give them that. And you know what, John? This is a side note. I want to have a big family. And, and so who knows if that's going to happen or if we're lucky enough that we get to do it. But uh, someone told me the other day, they said, you know, if you have two kids for five generations— Right, like five generations down, you've provided sixty-four spawn to the world. What a gift for humanity! People that can tackle problems, help you know, help charities. You know, uh, they can use their minds to help this planet. But if you have four kids, if you have four kids for five generations down, you've given seventeen hundred people to the world, and. Um, Kevin Kelly is famous for saying, you know, the greatest gift you can do if you're in a place where you listen to podcasts and you have a high quality of life, the greatest gift you can give the world is, is children. You know, he talks a lot about world underpopulation that's going to happen in 2050 and beyond. Then I, I, I sort of that, you know, I feel that way. And I hope that this book, these messages can come to my children through me spending time with them
1: more than anything else. That's a great point. Just organic, you know, not even getting to the point where maybe the book is necessary for them, you know, because uh, just living with you and, and, and having you as a father, you know, just organically, they, yeah, or through osmosis, one of those one of those things, they'll they'll just pick up these lessons, which is which is which is beautiful. I think a lesson for all of us, especially me as a new dad. Um, yeah, those moments are definitely precious, uh, and, and I think you quickly realize or reprioritize everything uh when that happens, when that when that change takes place in your life, which is uh which is it's the whole thing is just it it it's beautiful. So um and uh you know you recently I think it was last last week I saw this, you tweeted, um I want three ways to increase your happiness right now. Shot <laughs> down five gratitudes. Which yep. is like when you see stuff like that normally you're like, oh God. Um, you know, here comes Tony Robbins. You know, uh, <laughs> but you jot down five gratitudes, commit a random act of kindness, and go on a twenty-minute walk outside. Why those three things? Like, and but I'm thinking about those, and I'm like, that definitely, that definitely would make me happier, right? Like every, like you're you're reminding yourself of things that you're you're thankful for. You're you're doing something kind for others, and you're sort of. You know, going on this you know external release, going on a walk. So why these three things? This is yeah. what works for you, obviously. But yeah, why why do the, why does this work for just being happy right now?
0: Well, to be specific, these things do work for me, but they also work for everyone. Like the three walks is a Penn State study from the Journal of Sport and Exercise Psychology that you know researcher Amanda Hyde says you know when you do these three brisk twenty minute walks a week, you actually are happier. You have you have more pleasant activated emotions um, than if you aren't. And Michael Babiak and team of doctors. Uh, did that same study on three brisk walks a week, and they compared it to people on antidepressants and people on antidepressants and doing the walking. So again, there's three study groups. One's doing the three walks, one's on antidepressants, and the third group's doing both. Well, the first group just doing the walking outperformed both of the other groups. So the three walks, I I mean, I, I said in the tweet, you know, because I couldn't fit more words, I couldn't cite all the studies, but like that's for sure, and and that's gonna work. And we, we've there's a lot of research behind it. The random act of kindness, Sonia Lebarmerski again, incredible researcher. um at Stanford, you know, she had people commit uh, five random acts of kindness a week. And um, the increase in happiness was higher than any other study. Uh, I mean, it was just huge off the charts. And you know why I think this happens? It's because we think better of ourselves, right? Like you hold the door open for a stream of people. You're like, I'm the door holder opener. Like, look at me. Like, I am a kind, generous person. Like, what a nice way to feel happy, right? I'm feeling good about who I am. That's a pretty... You know, if you can get to that place, it strikes a pretty deep chord. And um, I think the, the second one, uh, the third one I wrote, what did I write there? Five Gratitudes, talked about it. Random Acts of Kindness. Uh, Yeah. Oh, five gratitudes. I didn't mention it. So five gratitudes. Funnily enough, this is what I was doing on my blog the whole time on a thousand awesome things without without realizing it. Um, Famous study in 2003, Emmons and McCullough asked students to write down five gratitudes, five hassles, or five events over the past week. If you write down five things, just literally write down five things you're grateful for in a week. (laughs) It's not even a day, like in a week, you'll be happier. I gave a speech recently, John, and a woman came up to me after and she said, you know, I got a grouchy husband and three teenage boys. Um, You know, the only way I can get them to be in a good mood is when I go around the dinner table and I say, okay, everybody, you better give me one thing you're happy for today. Is that what the study says to do? And I said, no, the study says five gratitudes a week. If you're doing five a day at the dinner table, you have a 700% increase off the minimum effective dose. <laughs> like it is, That's how powerful the gratitudes are. Just five a week you got to write down. But the hard part there isn't the five. It's the writing them down. That's the part that people don't do. We all know we can do it. We just don't do it. And so the hard part of it being a bit of a happiness Researcher and author, now is that even when I know these things, it's still hard for me to do some of them, right? Like today, I haven't exercised yet. I should. I know I should. I know it'll make me feel better, but I'm on book tour now. I'm like, you know, going a mile a minute. So um, I have to make sure I make space for these things. But the reason I tweeted those three is because they're all proven and they all work.
1: And there's something just about writing something down, too. Like, I carry a moleskin journal with me just about everywhere I go, and it's, you know, at this point, it, you know, there's apps for everything, right? There's pro- productivity apps. There's journaling apps. there's a, But for me, I can't get that same output or that same inspiration unless I write it down. It's just sometimes it's not even – I don't – and I think Austin Kleon had a great quote about this. Who has a a really nice uh, yeah, love his stuff. Nice, nice words yeah. on the back of uh, on the back of your book, but he says he doesn't write things down to read it later. He writes things down to remember it right now. And <laughs> and I'm like, that's not like I because I, cause I, re- I should, not rarely, but I I don't really go back too much in my journaling, but it's It's more the act of very esoteric, right like sitting down and, and feeling the journal in your hands and you know having a nice pen, which is important, right? Like enjoying the tools that you're working with, and writing it down is like so important and it just retaining it or 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 having more of an effect on you and i I could totally see how you can think about one thing every day that that you know that, that you're thankful for or, but unless I could see how writing it down has a much bigger impact. And I think that's the part that if you're leaving that part out, that's how that, I could definitely see how that's the most important part.
0: Uh, absolutely. And you know what? There's a real reason why this works too. Is it's, it's for all the reasons you're suggesting, the, the amorphous reasons, the feeling that like, it, it clarifies things. But there's, I think, a pretty scientific reason too, and it's this. It's that your mind, John, has no GPS system in it. Like It sounds funny to say that, that quote, but like your mind doesn't actually know where it is. So when you write something down, you think you're there. If someone buys you a coffee in the morning and you write down at the end of the day like it was so nice when John bought me a coffee, your mind actually is in that moment. And if you read what you wrote, you're there again. So you get a tripling effect on that positive experience. If you write it down, you you lived it, you were there again when you wrote it, and you're there again when you read it. So it's just like 300% increase. Like it's just it's just just bump. That's what it does. And and one of the best titled studies ever um, by Slatcher and Pennebaker at University of Texas is called How Do I Love the Let Me Count the Words, you know, instead of Let Me Count the Ways. Um, And he had couples on a university campus write about one positive thing at the end of their day for 20 minutes. Couples who did this were 50% more likely to stay together after three months, which of course on a university campus is a very long relationship, you know, and and it's because you feel grateful at a deep level for what you've just gone through. And I think it is partly because of that tripling
1: effect. But you don't get that, right? From writing it in an app. Like, at least I don't. I mean, I I don't know if it has the same psychological impact. That would be an interesting study.
0: It's interesting to see too like as a society like are we bouncing back from digital like I mean it's like you know you <laughs> talk about
1: is paper cool again? Paper's cool paper
0: is cool again, you know, it's like bookstores are reporting big increases in sales. I mean the ones here are 10-15% increases of public companies and you're like what's going on like like young people you know they still have bookshelves, you know, and and the percent of people that are reading digitally I think is on the decline. Not to say that it's going to decline you know, in perpetuity, it's just that uh, I'm like you. I'm like Austin. Like I like holding it. I like, I like highlighting it. I like giving it to someone in my hand. And my wife and I, on her request, have never combined bookshelves. And when I asked Leslie when we moved in together why she didn't want to merge books with me because we had some doubles, you know, she said, Neil, it would be like merging brains it would be like combining my vision of who I am and all the edges and complexities and all the things I've read and that represent part of my personality and meshing it together with you. And I don't believe in two becomes one. I believe in two becoming two great people. So my wife is a lot smarter than me, as you can tell.
1: <laughs> that's, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, that, that, that's a great way of looking at it. Um, I, I, I quickly want to get into, um, so like I said, I have the book here in my hands and you have... You know, advanced praise on here from Austin Kleon From Seth Godin um, You know, from Sean Anchor, from The Happiness Advantage Gretchen Rubin The Happiness Project, which is brilliant um, Former president of, of Starbucks And the line on the front of the book Dale Carnegie was last century Stephen Covey was last decade Neil Pasricha is what's now And that's from Susan Cain um, Who wrote the book Quiet, which, which is a brilliant read What do you think when you see I mean, this is This you're having a far reaching impact. I mean, this is, this is, this is just, you know, this is amazing. You know, like you're, you're doing great work. You're having a a huge impact. Um, I mean, do you, do you feel this? I mean, when, when you're out, you know, on these book tours and you're talking to people, I mean, this is, this is amazing the type of people that you're having impact on what they're saying. I mean, Dale Carnegie, right? I mean, wow. I mean, that's, that's got to have an impact on you as well.
0: Well, you know, you know what, John. I have a model in the book called the success triangle. I tell a story about how I was seated at the front row uh, of a nonprofit called Shad, which I, I'm on the board of, um, or I was on the board of for three years, and I was seated at the front row beside a donor. You know, and so me being a board member, her being a donor, like we weren't, you know, I, I was not getting away from this table for several hours. And the unfortunate part for me is the chairman of the board introduced me and said, "Oh, Neil's a." New York Times bestselling author, and Nancy has always wanted to write a book. Why don't you guys talk about that for two hours? So she, this, this woman turns to me, she looks at me, and she says, how can I be successful? Like, what's your secret? How would you sell a million books? And, and I said to her, okay, let me, let me try to put down on paper something that I've had gestating for a while. And I drew this triangle. I call it the success triangle, and I labeled each of the points. Sales, social. And self. Pick the type of success you want because you can only have one. And maybe if you're lucky, you can have two, but you really can't have three. Sales success means your book is a hit. You know, bestseller lists, shipping millions of copies, dump trucks beeping as they back royalty payments into your garage. Okay, that's sales success. Social success means you're a success amongst your peers, people you value their opinions, awards. um, You know, uh, you know the social success that comes from being reviewed or, or you know being nominated for the Man Booker Prize or something. And then self success is inside you. Nobody knows if you have it or not. Do you feel proud and satisfied and content with what you have done? And. When I did this, she said, you know, what do you mean? Why can't I have both? Why can't I have all three? I said, well, just think about the Academy Awards as an example, okay? Look at the movie that just won, Spotlight, okay? Have you looked at its domestic gross? You know? It's not a sales success. In fact, it had the lowest sales of any of the Best Picture nominees, um, But it's a social success. There's no higher honor. I use this example of the Hurt Locker winning best picture. It made 19 million bucks. Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakwell, that same year made 250 million. Like, which one would you have rather made? And so for the Book of Awesome, I really wanted it to be a sales success. I can can almost say that now. Uh, you know, therapeutic for me to say that. At the time, I, w- I probably would have hidden that, but I, because I really, really wanted to get out there, I was hoping uh, people would read it. I wanted to make some money off of it. Uh, to, to you know, I was trying to make this thing go big, so I it went far. And I told you, I was in an unhealthy place for this book, The Happiness Equation. You've just read out all that, all that praise. I'm trying hard. It's a practice always, John, to be comfortable and confident with self success. I want to be proud of the book I'm handing my son. I want to be happy thinking when I'm gone, if I'm lucky and he is, you know, hitting a lull or a low point in his life, he picks it up and it helps him a bit. I want to be happy with that feeling. So what do I feel when, you know, someone compares the book to Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you know, which is an amazing, amazing book. I'm flattered, I'm flattered, and it means a ton, but I'm trying as a practice to be more focused myself on self-success. And it's, it is a journey, of course, because, you know, you, get, you start looking at Amazon rankings and New York Times bestseller list, and you pretty quickly can't stop. That stuff becomes like crack, you know? Um, but it's a practice, and I'm aware of it, the three, the three S's, sales, social, and self, and I'm picking self, for this one, and, and seeing if I can focus on that.
1: That's great. That's great. This is, this is, this has been a, an amazing chat. Um, you know, if you know, for all you listeners, um, you know, this is just really, you know, not even scratching the surface of of, of what you can learn from from Neil's you know published works. Uh, you know, the Happiness Equation. Um, definitely pick that up out this week, and uh, you know, brilliant, brilliant read. Uh, I'm excited. I'm 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 halfway through it, and it's just brilliant stuff. Um, and Neil, uh, just honored to have you on here today. This was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed our talk today. Thanks for coming on. John, it's, it's, it's
0: my pleasure. And, you know, I, the way I see it is you're doing all the hard work. You, you, you organizing, you're recording, you're producing, you're putting out there. I, I get, I get lucky enough to be able to just sort of call you, um, <laughs> and, 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 and then chat. And that, and that is so easy for me. And thank you for giving, um, you know, louder than words to the world. I, I appreciate it, and I'm a listener. And I, I, I can't thank you enough for having me on
1: absolutely thanks so much neil and to all your listeners thank you for tuning in um like i said go out i could not recommend the happiness equation enough um great book um and thank you for tuning in thank you for your continued patience as i navigate this adjustment to fatherhood um which is which has been amazing and fun but uh, we will be back very soon with more episodes of louder than words so thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you very very soon bye-bye everyone